Today's episode is sponsored by Alone in the Dark. The highly anticipated new reimagination by Pieces Interactive and THQ Nordic. Play as Edward Carnby or Emily Hartwood to explore your environments, fight monsters, solve puzzles, and uncover the true secret of Dorsetto Manor. Our favorite heroes are brought to life by Hollywood stars Jodie Comer of Killing Eve and David Harbour of Stranger Things, who lend not only their voices, but their appearance and their formidable acting skills to the brave protagonists. Experience a deep psychological story that goes beyond the realms of the imaginable, all dreamed up by Mikhail Hedberg, cult horror writer of Soma and Amnesia. The team at Pieces Interactive is supported by monster designer and legendary Guillermo del Toro collaborator Guy Davis, as well as doom jazz legend Jason Conan, who provides his eerie and haunting melodies for the right atmosphere. Alone in the Dark is available March 20th on PS5, Xbox Series XS, and PC. Pre-order your copy now and escape into the dark. What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. You might actually be the most derivative one of all. I mean, Christ, the same house. Maybe so. But you forgot the first rule of surviving a stab movie. Never answer the... I'm bored. Wait! Welcome back to Microqueers. It's our queer horror short and feature roundup. We do this every once in a while. Get into it. I'm Joe. <laughs> and I'm Trace. And we're discussing Alice Mayo McKay's Bad Girl Boogie, a transgender and queer horror film that's hitting VOD services this week. Indeed. So, so much queerness here, but I feel like that's to be expected with McKay's work. So, Trace, you're new to her world, mm-hmm. are you not? Yeah, yeah. So this is my first film of hers that I've seen. I have not seen Sovam, and she has another film coming out called T-Blockers that I mm-hmm. know screened at Salem Horror Fest when we were there, but I don't think that one's actually out yet, correct? I don't think so. It's actually very difficult to keep track of her work because she is constantly making movies. Like, she has made three movies, I think, in the span of a couple of years. So she is quite literally turning these out and it's kind of fascinating to watch well i feel like because i was looking up savannah a little bit um and i saw like she was 16 when they filmed that mm-hmm. like that that is bizarre to me and that was what it's two wild. years ago so she yeah. she's freshly 18 ish like making making this film <laughs> 
Yeah, I did have the pleasure of interviewing Alice for Fright Down last year. Uh, and I have seen So Vam because it was playing at Salem Horror Fest. And I actually quite liked that movie. You know, we should acknowledge these are rough around the edges, very low budget independent film. So this is very much a look at what this teen girl can do. Frankly, it's kind of amazing how much she is doing at such an early age. When I had the the chance to interview her, I actually <laughs> flat out told her to her face, I hate how talented young people are sometimes. <laughs> because she is like these, as I said, they're a little bit rough, but there's so much promise and potential in these films. And I think there's a lot of things that are really right and really resonating for a younger queer population. Like, I look at this and I think, oh, you know, I want a bit more polish. But I think some of that is just, it's going to come with age. It's going to come with more money. But like what she's doing with bare bones productions, semi-amateur actors, like... It's quite a marvel. Yeah, I mean, it's honestly, it's very much like, not guerrilla filmmaking, but it's just kind of, the, yeah, I mean, I, not to say rough around the edges again, but it's just like, yeah, queer guerrilla filmmaking. It just kind of reminds me of like, you know, what what queer filmmakers had to do in the, uh, like, well, decades ago when they weren't really able to just release this stuff mainstream. Right. Yeah, because, you know, these films are so unapologetically queer, like most of the characters are gay or lesbian or bi or pan or trans, like, yeah. Alice just kind of fills these worlds with queer characters. And it's so unapologetically like there is often shades of homophobia. There's intolerant characters. There's often a lot of hate crimes in her film. So mm -hmm. a little bit of a trigger warning for folks, if that concerns you. But I kind of like that she's unwilling to say, oh, well, I'm going to try to make this more commercial by not having a queer or a trans lead or something like that. She just says, fuck it. No, these are the kinds of films that I want to see. I want to see myself represented on screen. And she just goes for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I will say, actually, from a technical standpoint, I actually think both the way this film is shot and mm -hmm. edited, I actually think it's done very well. Right. A lot of my issues with this film actually stem from the screenplay, which I think right. is lacking. But 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 from a technical standpoint, I, I actually think this is pretty solid for a, a micro-budget film. Yeah, and I'll confess that's been a little bit of my issues with this and Sovam, is that the narrative often feels not first drafty, but it needed either another couple of passes, or it's working with the actors to make sure that they can deliver some of these lines, some of this exposition. Like, I actually think that Sovam does a slightly better job with its characterizations. Like, okay. the focus is really on the central friendship between characters, and I was hoping to see a bit more of that here in Bad Girl Boogie, and... I think my biggest frustration was just I liked a lot of these people, but I didn't get to spend enough time with them. Yeah, uh, my, my takeaway from this, and before I, we can go in like the kind of general what this film's about in a second, but sure. my general takeaway was, yeah, I don't know who any of these characters are. And I mean, even our lead character, um, Angel, she is our protagonist. Mm -hmm. But I, yeah, I was kind of like, oh, but who is she besides punk queer girl? Right. Yeah. She's got a dead mother that she is yep. very angry about. And we learn over the course of the film that her mother was also queer and came out and the rest of the family ostracized her. That was about 16 years ago. She now lives with an aunt. She and the aunt do not get along in this movie, but it was never really clear to me 
why like there's a point where she just gets into it with the aunt and she says you know you didn't do anything to help her so i took that to mean oh after mom came out and you kind of kicked her to the curb and then she was killed you weren't there to help protect her but I had to do a lot of inferring in some of these relationships. Mm-hmm. So that was one example. But I just kept thinking, to a certain extent, the film is indebted to its plot as opposed to its characters, which for me would have been the preference. I agree. And again, my issue here is that I don't – I love the concept of this film. And Joe, well, why don't you tell us what this movie is about? Um, and we have, by the way – not one, but two prologues <laughs> to get us through this. <laughs> yeah, we do. So we begin in an unspecific time. I was trying to figure out if this is meant yeah. to be kind of period PC because one of the characters is wearing a sort of poor boy hat. Mm-hmm. But um, we begin in Bosch House where a group of teens are practicing some kind of satanic ritual. One of them ends up putting on a mask and killing the others and then they get away. So the survivor is Blair and then we jump ahead to a future timeline and we follow Oscar who is a trans teen who is apparently very smart but not doing very well at school. They're acting out. They have rage issues and they are there for a consultation with their therapist dr sherry and they similarly find the mask while they're out walking around put it on and they end up really gratuitously killing dr sherry and we should note the the practical effects in this movie are pretty solid yeah i really enjoyed watching dr sherry lose a large portion of her brain i agree and i actually (laughs) i feel like i got to know dr sherry more in her few minutes of screen time than i did any other character in this movie to the point where i was actually kind of disappointed when she died (laughs) right yeah we should note that both of these prologues happen relatively quickly so you kind of think oh these are our characters and particularly the second one you think so we're going to be following oscar we're going to be dealing with this dr sherry stuff and then it's just over and suddenly now we're following angel and her best friend dario who goes by they them pronouns they're members of a group that also includes Lila, who's a bit of a harder partying girl. She's mm-hmm. dating an older gentleman named Gary, and we don't like him because it's creepy and weird. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. 
And then we also have a friend named Sam. Trace, I dare you to tell me who Sam is, because I, you probably can't even identify her. I was going to say, I, I, I'm even looking at like the cast list, and Sam is at the very, very bottom. Which is interesting, because the fourth build person is uh, Stephen Tai Hoa, uh, who plays Ashley. Mm-hmm. I think this person has one scene. They show up and immediately get killed in a van. <laughs> <laughs> they have two scenes. They are part of the friend group outside of school. But yeah, I mean... I think one of the things that we found challenging is that these kids are interesting and you want to get to know more about them. Like in the early scenes where they're having a dialogue, you know, they're talking about they're going to go to parties. They're shitting on the straight dude Chase, who is garbage and homophobic. And it's like nobody likes him. We're starting fights. It feels like the beginning of a typical YA movie. And yeah. I'm here for it. But then, yeah. A lot of these characters just fall to the margin. So it's really Angel, Dario, and you think Lila's going to be big because she picks Angel up. We're going to the punk rave club. Yeah. And then Lila gets killed outside by this stalker person wearing the same familiar mask that we saw in the two prologues. And this kicks off a queer slasher film where this person in the mask is picking off our protagonists from this friend group one by one. Well, and it's made very clear very early on that this mask is, again, I, I know we go through, oh, it doesn't make them kill people. It lets mm-hmm. them kill people. But yes. like, <laughs> it's, it's basically pulling out people's worst impulses. And right. basically what we have here is, yeah, a queer slasher film where whoever wears the mask uh, is killing a bunch of queer people. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. I couldn't help but feel like this film was entering into conversation with They Slash Them. I was thinking the exact same thing. And I do think that while maybe that film has a better and higher production values. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. I do think this one at least has a more clear through line on what it's trying to do. Well, and it doesn't sanitize the violence. Like the reality of this film is that we kill probably 90% of these teens. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we're saying we wanted more of them. That means that when they die, it doesn't always land as hard as I think it probably should. But in part, at least this film is willing to acknowledge that the violence against the queer community, and particularly the trans community, is very real. Yeah, 100%. And on that level, I think it absolutely succeeds. What I was saying earlier with the script doesn't really pull through for me. It's it's a it's a combination of yes. We don't spend mm-hmm. enough time with these characters to where I actually feel like I know any of them. I actually did have a lot of trouble remembering any of their names, including okay. Angel's name. Right. <laughs> yeah, at one point you were like, isn't that Lila? I, I like the lore behind the mask, but at the same time, I feel like it's a little, like, there's so much going on here. And mm-hmm. by the way, what is an 80-minute movie with credits? Right. Yeah, that is a big challenge because we're not only giving these characters their kind of own standalone set pieces when they get killed off and they're still relatively brief but there's a lot of them there's a lot going on in this movie like we're doing stuff with angel and her auntie you know we've got other issues with these other characters we're sometimes in detention there's a police officer who is eventually revealed to be oscar the person who killed their doctor as a child and have now grown up to become a police officer so like It's sometimes very difficult to follow, and you almost wish that McKay had dialed back either some of the characters or if it could have been possible to extend this even like 10 or 15 minutes and just let some of these scenes breathe. Yeah, you're right. This is a slasher film, right? So there's Mm -hmm. a whodunit component to this. Sure. Were you a little disappointed with the reveal of who was killing all these people? 
Yeah, I, I found the last act goes by very quickly. Yeah. So we get exposition about the mask and who and what is behind it. And it becomes a big old exposition dump. And then all of a sudden, we kill off a couple of characters in very quick succession. And our killer is revealed to be, spoiler alert, the exact person we thought it was going to be for the entire <laughs> film. That's it. And so basically, I appreciate what this film is doing. I love mm -hmm. how, as we've said, unapologetically queer this is. Absolutely. I just think that as a slasher film, it's it's really comes up lacking for me. Yeah, I don't know if it's just because McKay is not willing to play kind of within the conventions sure. of a slasher film. Mm -hmm. Or if it's like, it sometimes feels like her attention is more divided or she's more intrigued by certain things like we haven't really talked about it but there's a bunch of what i call musicality in the film uh -huh. where it's almost like a music video and we've got like really strong bisexual lighting and those moments to me are almost the strongest component of the film because all of a sudden it makes the movie feel like it has a kind of flow and an energy and a groove yeah. and like i'm really getting into these visuals and it feels like that's also where the editing is really complementing mm -hmm. the visuals so part of me was like god damn i wonder if i just want a series of kind of music video s shorts from this well and that's the thing though so I, I do agree like the music video segments of this movie i think are the most impressive again from a technical standpoint especially right but i can't help but wonder if some people are going to watch this and be like this is just like padding the runtime like why is this even in mm. here and you know I, the, the the big one is kind of about like, as we're heading into the second act of this film but like you know it's really putting us in angel's headspace right like right. she is freaking the fuck out and that's what we're getting here but I can't. Mm -hmm. I, I sometimes I just can't help but think, hey, but these are just kind of like, yeah, I'm just doing this because I can. Mm. And I part of me wishes that this this real estate of runtime was maybe better spent on character development. But that's right. We raised the point that we want a bit more time with these characters, so I can definitely see that criticism. But I did enjoy these sequences so much that I'd rather not lose them so much yeah. as I'd rather just have more time. Well, and you could argue that these scenes are character development because right. we're in the we're in the headspace of the characters. We're just not getting any dialogue. Exactly. Yeah. Like if you're looking for characters to be explaining themselves, this isn't always going to be the film for you. Yeah, a hundred percent. But I mean, hey, I can still appreciate it. It's not I don't know for sure if I would like recommend this to anyone. But if you want to see just a like just queer film, mm -hmm. by all means, give this a shot for sure. Yeah, it's coming to mind. Obviously, if people have seen McKay's other films. I would probably say this is definitely within her wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. It feels less narratively driven than Sovam, which, as I said, is the other film I've seen of her. Right. But it's got that same kind of like DIY fuck you kind of vibes to it like it does feel a little bit punk rock and hard edge so i really appreciate that but you know it feels in the same spirit to me as something like death drop gorgeous right which is another very low budget independent horror film that is also unapologetically queer so i think that there's definitely a space and an audience for these kinds of films but if you get hung up on needing the polish the kind of conventional narrative you will struggle with these if anything though this has me very curious to check out her other films so i do want to go watch so Bam, and i do want to check out t blockers when it comes out mm -hmm. yeah and folks if you're interested in so Bam, it's definitely on shutter
Oh, well, there you go. Shit. I have no excuse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, all right, everyone. Well, let us know what you thought of Bad Girl Boogie. Um, and until next time, we can cross out uh, Bad Girl Boogie. Indeed. And cross out microqueers. Thank you.